The following is a hoop ball presentation. That's all I got. You ain't even in the third, yo. Uh, this is NBA today. No, it's not. It's round ball ramble. I don't even know what show I host anymore. Um, wow. I'm recording this on the 22nd of September, uh, and I am speechless at a loss for words, completely dumbfounded at the news that has broke today. I thought I'd be coming over here talking about Ben Simmons, uh, you know, him refusing to, to go into camp. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, John Wall not joining uh, the Rockets. I mean, not not playing for the Rockets this season, joining them, but, you know, um, basically moving on his way to another squad. I thought I'd be addressing all that stuff first and foremost, but then the Timberwolves decided to get involved. Um, Then the Timberwolves decided to get involved. This is Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Forge. Follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. This is a HoopBall presentation, so check out HoopBall on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets online, hoop-ball.com. Let's talk about Minnesota, let's talk about the Timberwolves, let's talk about Gershon Rosas, who has been dismissed. Yes, this was kind of a, a just out-of-nowhere bombshell um, for those who weren't in the know, such as myself and much of NBA Twitter, oh, and Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, but yeah, the Timberwolves ousted president, former president, Gershon Rosas. Um, and according to a report from John Krasinski and Sham Sharania, this is the culmination of months of evaluation by ownership and the franchise's high ranking official about the state of his leadership and the direction of the franchise under his watch. It has not been great. I mean, mind you, he hasn't had a he didn't have a full eighty two game season to work with the Wolves. It just didn't work out. Uh just due to the pandemic, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, who did not miss a game in his first three seasons of the league, ended up missing 22 games last season, and then 19 in Rosas' first year on the job, unfortunately to the death of his mother and, and other members of the family due to COVID-19. DeAndre Russell, the move that Rosas brought in, had arthroscopic scro- uh, surgery on his left knee, uh, and then Malik Beasley, he also missed a, a good chunk of games, uh, first for a 12-game suspension for police charge, and then found 23-game games missed for a hamstring injury. I say all that to say that Rosas didn't get, like, a full, in my opinion, um, like, dedicated, okay, this is his stamp on the year. But he did enough. Uh, namely, he did enough damage, uh, most importantly. This piece by The Athletic, I'm not going to go word for word in here, but uh, his reign is described as dysfunctional. There's tension rippling through the front office. Uh, rival team execs and agents didn't like the way he did business. Uh, there was uh, some talk about him meddling, not only with uh, his eventual successor, but also uh, former uh, a partner or former uh, understudy at his position in Sachin Gupta. Uh, basically, he blocked him from applying for other jobs with the Rockets for increased pay for saying that it, just because it came after free agency, after the draft, that he would bring some proprietary knowledge with him to a competitor, which is just scummy because at the end of the day, dude's trying to provide for his family. The fact that you can't put the game aside, you, you do. Proprietary knowledge? Yeah, yeah, I win in less than 30 games a year. Like, like, what top secrets is going to give the Houston Rockets, who only just started rebuilding and have been just perennial Western Conference Finals contenders for years on end? What knowledge might he glean from one of the worst teams in the NBA over the last 15 years that would have made just a tremendous impact? 
on a team just starting a rebuild. I'm just curious. Actually, I'm not, because it doesn't matter, but it was just the stupidest thing. But those were issues. Um, the way he treated his own free agents, he, he kind of dangled and, and bounced around his own uh, word of intent for Jordan McLaughlin, one of the first players that he reached out to in free agency, but then things changed. Uh, he acquired Pat Beverly in a trade with Memphis, and all of a sudden, you know, Beverly, yes, a more established player and a, a better player, I guess, for his role than McLaughlin, but all of a sudden McLaughlin goes from being a guy promised a significant role backing up D'Angelo Russell to someone that's now going to be behind Russell and Beverly on the depth chart and just kind of dangled around in a, in a way that is not quite dishonest but pretty darn close to it. It was a lot. I mean, you had people that were mad at Rosas for the way he negotiated deals with little input from themselves and yet... Um, underwhelming returns, such as the draft pick that was given in the 2021 draft uh, for D'Angelo Russell, the one that went kind of completely unprotected at number seven to Golden State this past year. Uh, There's been issues, uh, and it went to the top. Glenn Taylor, new owners Mark Lohr and Alex Rodriguez, uh, the newly minted minority owners, they heard these concerns. Uh, Apparently, there was already talk kind of heating up about that, but then you even have just Poor, poor, I, I, I can't even support it, just in general. This isn't even on the basketball knowledge, but at the very end of this athletic piece, which I think is hilarious, they kind of bury it, but Rosas is married and was carrying on in a full-fledged affair with the staffer on the team that others noticed and made them uncomfortable, as it probably should, because you put in this um, message, Rosas did, of having this family mentality, and then not only do you cheat, on said members of family, but you also give off a mentality that is anything but family-oriented. And it, it just came to a head. Now, all of this I say, basically in the kind of frantic uh, speed and pace of which I got it, because here's the frustrating part. Yes, a move had to be made. Yes, a move ultimately was made. Uh, a guy who was unfit for his position is gone. And now you do have uh, Gupta moving up in that, in that role at least for the time being. Uh, Gupta has had experience in the front office for many years, uh, also has a strong background in analytics, and is mostly known for creating the bane of NBA Twitter's existence, but also the one thing they flock to all the time, that would be the NBA trade machine. So he has that going for him. Unrelated news, the Timberwolves are a leading uh, contender for Ben Simmons, so do with that knowledge what you will. But I bring all that up to say this. For the Timberwolves, this is a mess. Now, yes, everything coming to a head the way it did, Yes, it was time for a change. Something had to happen. But six days before training camp? This upcoming Monday, it's media day for the NBA. The Timberwolves are going to have media day. Supposed to come up with this fresh start. You know, Anthony Edwards going into sophomore season. You know, Pat Beverly bringing his grit and grind mentality. You know, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell finally getting some time to play together. You also throw in Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels, and others who are really going to get this core moving. Uh, building off of what was the year before in terms of injuries and a disjointed season, having some continuity. Carnley Towns actually just interviewed a little bit ago talking about how important it was for him to have continuity. And now they're going to have so many questions, just bombarded with questions and inquiries about the front office and the mismanagement of the front office and how things are going and how does Carnley Towns feel and how does Andrew Russell feel. And they're going to have to field all of these questions along with the Ben Simmons rumors that are swirling around as well. You've taken a team that is used to dysfunction, was finally finding their ways out of that morass of dysfunction, and what did you do? You swirled them in a fresh batch of more dysfunction. I feel bad for Minnesota. Front office staff, outside, of course, Rosas. You know, the players, I feel especially bad for Carnley Towns. He tweeted, WTF. In his response to the news, which, yes, if it happens suddenly, it makes sense. But, like, you really wish that 
Towns knew about this. This is something that you kind of want your main guy to kind of be like, hey, even if it's as quick as, uh, listen, uh, we have to make some sudden changes. Uh, guess what? Rose is gone. At least the WTF doesn't happen on Twitter where all of us on NBA Twitter, myself included, just jump on it and immediately are like, dude, how do you not tell your star player? Just the common decency of that um, and the respect factor there, I just which was given. But again, I, I just, seeing all of the pieces that have come out on Rosas uh, over the last couple of hours since then, it definitely does make sense in understanding that something had to be done regardless of how you felt um, about the time that it was to be done for Minnesota. So that's been the big news. Uh, Gupta's, in, um, Gupta's in charge now, so we'll see kind of where it goes uh, just for the immediate short-term effects. See how the Timberwolves respond right now. I mean, they, they have a strong start. I mean, again, if you look at the team and, and where they are now, they, they, nothing has changed in terms of personnel. You know? Rosas made all the moves they were going to make coming in. So that's already established and clear-cut. Um, at this point, it's just about performing. But again, you can't have these distractions on a on a young team like this, or a team looking to shake off some of these losing mothballs. You know, and that's what they have, unfortunately. But anyway, that was the first big bombshell. There'll be more to break down um, over the coming days, I'm sure, and I will be here to break it down. But I also want to touch on someone else who I didn't even bring him up. That's how sneaky he is. And uh, the guy I'm talking about here is David Griffin. Now, David Griffin, I, I think he had a great, great tenure as you know head of basketball operations for the Cleveland Cavs during the LeBron James second stint in Cleveland I thought he did an amazing job if you take everything that David Griffin has done all the good that he's done for Cleveland and you say how can you turn that on his head and make it as bad as possible you look at what he's done at the helm of the New Orleans Pelicans it has been ridiculous it has been horrible. It's not. It's not even funny how mismanaged of a franchise the team has been under Griffin. We're talking about three different head coaches right after you draft the number one overall pick, uh, uh, 2019 in Zion Williamson. I mean, you do all that, and he's had to deal with three different coaches now. A backcourt that never fully fit his team, personnel that never fully fit him in terms of having, I don't know, maybe decent shooting around him for once. Uh, no, let's go and not have that for the first year. Okay, let's go and bring in Eric Bledsoe and and um Stephen Abs because that'll definitely help out. No, it's been so much to do with, and it's coming to a head. There was a piece today, uh, put out on uh, Nola.com. Definitely. Highly recommend that by Christian Clark. That is a deep dive into the dysfunction that is swirling around New Orleans. Uh, the fired coaches, the flawed rosters, and the the rapport of Zion that isn't really there. Zion Williamson, according to this piece, is, is obviously frustrated, and his camp is kind of angling to move somewhere else. That's kind of crazy. The NBA rumor hyenas are all over this, especially since just a little bit over a uh, couple weeks ago, he added fuel to the fire talking about how good it would be to play at, at Madison Square Garden or how good it is to play Madison Square Garden in that gushing way that a star talks when they're looking somewhere else. Now, it's still kind of early, but obviously the frustration is real. Like I said, Christian Clark's piece is pretty lengthy, so definitely give it a deep dive. Uh, You do need to subscribe on that, so however you do that, get on there. Um, But it goes into the trials and tribulations of the first couple of years of the David Griffin era. It's not been very good for him. He has not done a great job cultivating this roster and making it so, so the core of Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram can be comfortable. And I'm going to read a passage here for you. In fact, one of two uh, that I think is hilarious. So here's the first one. Throughout his rookie season, 
Williamson had grown increasingly frustrated with the Pelicans for the number of hoops they required him to jump through to return from the knee injury he suffered in the preseason. The team initially provided a return-to-play timetable of six to eight weeks, but it took more than three months for Williamson to get back on the floor. When he was finally given a thumbs-up to play, he was placed on quote-unquote burst limits, which he detested. The way Williamson's return was handled caused significant tension between him and the team's medical staff. Sources said, end quote. Now, again, Griffin, you know, he tried to build a relationship with Zion. It just did not work very well um, to the point now that they, quote unquote, communicate infrequently now. It was an issue. Um, in fact, there's a little piece here I have to share. I'm going to try to get through without laughing, but I know I'm going to fail. All right, so here it is. All right, quote, Williamson's relationship with Griffin had also begun to sour. Although they communicate infrequently now, Griffin tried hard in Williamson's rookie year to forge a bond. One example. During the Pelicans' bubble stay, remember, first year in the bubble, Griffin asked to meet with Williamson and played the piano for him. Now, all I can think of is Zion coming back after a practice or a game or whatever, and you just have Griffin just sitting there, (laughs) just poured over his piano, saying, you know, Zion, come sit with me. I'm going to sing a little ditty here. And he just breaks into, lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on with Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> Excuse my horrible singing, um, but like that is just the weirdest thing I can imagine. Serenading your star player at the piano in hopes of bonding is a noble idea. Is definitely an outside the box idea. Points for that, most assuredly. But what? To continue the passage, quote, Williamson spent eight days outside the bubble. He played in only 15 minutes of the team's first game of the restart, a two-point loss to the Utah Jazz. The Pelicans entered the bubble with hopes of rallying for a playoff spot. Instead, they face-planted, going two and six. Griffin's hiring was supposed to mark a new chapter in the history of professional basketball in New Orleans. But two and a half years into his time in charge, he is running out of chances to make things right. He has failed to form a solid relationship with his most important player, and has already fired two head coaches, one of whom he handpicked, end quote. That's probably a better synopsis than what I was giving you already. It just hasn't happened. I mean, I I think it's hilarious about him playing the piano, though. Like, like, wow. I just, I, I, just to be a fly in the, in the wall, on the room there, Zion walks in, probably thinking he's going to a normal meeting, you know, probably thinking that he's having just another team meeting with his, with his general manager, and it finds out that, no, David Griffin is playing the piano. Uh, I, I just, I, I want to know which song. I want to know which song. But, um, yeah, you have the Supermax extension coming up for Zion. He's on track for it. It remains to be seen if he's going to buy a future with David Griffin. And honestly, if you look at the moves David Griffin has made as head of the Pelicans, I don't know why you would. For someone who did such a good job uh, under pressure with Cleveland in, 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 in fixing needs, and maybe it was because he had a treasure trove of assets with which to do so, um, to throw at problems and, and get pieces in that LeBron James, you know, wanted that helped him win. Or maybe it was just the greatness of LeBron James in terms of him making these mismatched pieces look good that may not have looked good otherwise. I, I don't honestly know at this point. But if you look at what he's done in New Orleans since then, everything has gone wrong. Everything's gone wrong. Nothing has been a solid move since he's taken over in New Orleans. I'm, I'm actually looking through the numbers now. I mean, the only thing we could say are the two obvious moves, trading um, Anthony Davis uh, for the pieces that they, that they got. You know, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, 
Brandon Ingram, uh, DeAndre Hunter will end up going elsewhere. Like, that was solid, but that was also the move right in front of you. You know what I mean? Signing J.J. Redick. You needed shooting. You got one of the best. Even the way that ended wasn't super great. Um, you know, the draft was interesting, you know? Um, some of the later moves he made were interesting. Uh, the three-team trade that brought him Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe, that was just roundly ridiculed when it happened because it didn't make a whole lot of sense and, 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 and is even more so now. It's just someone who... And Griffin has had a fundamental misunderstanding of the way that his best players work. He's not done a good job of fitting talent to that. And this is the latest example. Now, Zion, I'm sure, could always be in better shape. I think that his body type is weird. You look at guys like him, you look at guys like Charles Barkley, you look at guys like Shaq, and historically people are go, they fat, they're fat. It's a different body type. You know, I, I, you still see him working hard. You still see him playing. Still dominant, shooting 61% at the rim, 27 points per game. Sorry, 61% from the field, 27 points per game. I mean, the dude is a dominant guy. So, I mean, if you want to say fat or not, he's still doing his job. I'm not going that way, but I'm saying that people are quick to jump on Zion in this case, but I look purely at the executive on the side. You're in charge of making this work. If you were the model of dysfunction, when you're trying to sell or model a winning consistent stable franchise to a guy who doesn't want to leave a la Anthony Davis just a couple of years ago, then you have to put together the the right type of package to do so, the right type of message. And it's not here. David Griffin has not shown that consistently. So that that's my piece on that. I, I think it needs to get you know, put up or shut up. Right? Put up or shut up. There you go, that's how it is. <laughs> put up or shut out. Same thing for me. Shut him out the office because this isn't working. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, y'all. I mean, he's been in everyone's mind. I really don't think I'm saying anything that hasn't already been rehashed 18 million times from Twitter. Um, Ben Simmons wants to leave Philadelphia. Doc Rivers wants him to stay. Um, According to Adrian Wojnarowski, Ben Simmons told the team that he will not report to training camp next week, and he does not intend to play for the franchise again. Doc Rivers, on Wednesday morning, on ESPN, said, well, I hope we can change that thought. That's part of our job. He said the greatest thing in sports is, you know, it's fair. You fail at times, and you try to get back on the horse and try. You would be amazed if I told you how many times through a summer when you don't win, which is 29 teams, how often you have to go through something similar to this. Because losing's hard. People internalize it, and you have to deal with it. So we're going to deal with this. He also went and pushed back on saying that he wasn't sure if the Sixers could win a title with Simmons at point guard. He, he interjected and said, that's not what I said, actually. This is what narratives, and this is what makes our job hard. I actually said when the guy asked, guys, I'm not answering that stuff right now. I don't even know how to answer that. So what I was talking about was not answering the question. It had nothing to do with Ben. I'm going to call BS on that, Doc. I'm going to say it 100% has something to do with Ben. And whether you said it because you were frustrated, because you just lost, or you said it because Ben played abysmally in that round, which was fair, you said it, and you meant it, and you had all summer to dispute it. You had the days following when you said it to dispute it, and silence, radio silence from your end, nothing at all. So now, of course, it makes sense for you to try to paint the media as the villain and use the good old-fashioned narrative word, but no, you had all this time to dispute the narrative, and you did not. You didn't attempt to. I heard nothing. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Cor- at Corbin NBA, just on Twitter, if there was anything from Doc Rivers over the last, I don't know, two months that said anything about, no, I didn't mean that. You guys took my words and twisted them around. I can't believe I was led astray and, and deceived like this. No, nothing of that sort came out because nothing of the sort was intended. Now you have a tail between your legs because you want to keep your star player. The trade packages out there are poor. Training camp starts in less than a week. And you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it's sad. 
But what you said is what you said, and you totally meant that. And I really hate when people try to walk back on the hard stances they give because it's inconvenient now. And you shouldn't have said it then. You shouldn't have said it. You could have went with a more opaque, I don't have any answers for you right now. I don't have any answers for you. And yes, while that's not exactly a vote of confidence in Ben Simmons' favor, it's not an indictment on him either, which is what you and Joel Embiid clearly did. For the record, I agree with Doc. I do not think Ben Simmons is a point guard. I don't. The way he plays, no. Playmaking, four. Because then you put him in a spot where his shooting struggles or lack of shooting in general do not hurt him. Play him somewhere in a position like Draymond Green. He can utilize his playmaking, utilize his handle, but he's not going to be the fulcrum of the offense because he's not that type of player. He's just not. But taking that and going back to what Doc said, I just find that ridiculous. So he continues and goes, it's amazing how it gets started and just takes on a life of its own. End quote. Ha ha ha. I don't know. He was asked again on Wednesday if Simmons can play for him and win a championship. And he says, and I quote, yeah, all day, all day. Of course. He just does so many things, man. It's going on to explain how scoring isn't everything. The Ben Wallace of the world. It was great to see him go to the Hall of Fame. And the Dennis Rodman's of the world. Help teams win titles and have Hall of Fame careers without being great scorers. I do think Ben can score way more than he has scored. But that's not what makes him great. What makes him great is all the other things he does. Okay. I agree. I mean, three-time All-Star. NBA's all defensive team twice. 14, 7, and 7 looks good. But, um, yeah, no. Only five points in a game seven? Nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm just I'm just not with it. We already talked about the struggles. Uh, the fact that he kind of acts like a pencil child is kind of an issue behind the scenes, in my personal opinion. For a franchise that you're trying to, to be one of the leaders of, you and, and Joel Embiid are supposedly the pillars of this team, and you act the way you do, I think there's some serious culture issues there for sure. Um, and even the way this is being handled only serves to highlight that, because you go from one end of the pendulum to the other. He is a total just flop for us. He definitely let us down. He failed us. He's not a championship-level point guard. Not sure if he's a point guard. Not sure if I have any questions. So all of a sudden, two months, nothing has changed. Literally, he hasn't improved that we've seen outside of the same training videos we've seen. He hasn't improved any more than that. We haven't seen any uh, uh, public uh, notice or anything from himself. All we know is he wants to be gone. And now we're doing uh, damage control. Frantic damage control, way too late damage control. That's what we're seeing right now. It's kind of sad. Just saying. But yeah, this was a this was a dysfunction laden episode of a round ball ramble. I got to tell you, I was definitely stunned to see where this was going. Again, Gershon Rosas being the big news. Uh, it's good they have someone in place. I think that's a solid uh, first start for them. I do feel sorry, again, for the Timberwolves and Carl Anthony Towns for having to deal with this and have so many questions come media day to have to answer because that's rough. That's rough. But, um, yeah, as far as NBA, NBA, WNBA news, WNBA playoffs are tonight. So definitely make sure to tune in on ESPN2. We have some fire games for y'all. Well, my Phoenix Mercury, I was actually in attendance uh, for their final home game against the Las Vegas Aces. And it was a very good game. Uh, the Mercury came out just on fire. They shot 10-19 from three in the first half. Uh, they definitely cooled down a little bit, and it didn't help that, you know, it was the final game of the season. So um, Brittany Griner, uh, star center, sat out for the second half of the game. And then Skylar Diggins-Smith, uh, one of their leading guards, sat out for the entire fourth quarter. It got really close down the stretch. Uh, Jackie Young made a put back to, to push the, the Aces up at the buzzer, pretty much, uh, for the win. Um, and you had Kelsey Plum, who led the Aces in the entire second half. It was a very tight one-point loss for the Mercury, but it was a very good game. In a game that didn't really mean anything for either, because the Aces were locked into the second seed. 
and the Mercury locked into the fifth seed. But the WNBA playoffs are different because one through four, they're good. They get a bye. They get to wait. Five through eight have first round single elimination games. Win or go home. Yeah, game one. You do not have, you know, quarters to mess up. Uh, you don't have, like, you know, a uh, half a game where, oh, I didn't shoot really well. Like, all these games matter. Win or go home. And I don't like that type of format. I really wish the WNBA would change it. It definitely skews more to the number one and number two seeds, and that is represented by the fact that if you look at the champions and runner-ups of the WNBA since this new format was instituted, they're usually the number one and number two seeds, which makes sense because they sit out half of the playoffs to begin with. Um, but also, you have teams that fought really hard um, to make it to the postseason, and you're basically denying them a home game, um, or most of them, because if you're the better team, yeah, you get the home game, uh, unless you're the Mercury, because due to scheduling conflicts, whenever they end up playing, uh, they end up not having to be able to play at their own home arena because of either, you know, feeding some preseason games, which possibly occurring, or, you know, concerts that are already pre-scheduled, things like that. So, in fact, the Mercury will be playing, quote-unquote, at home with their crowd, but they'll be at the Grand Canyon University Stadium and not at their own due to a uh, pre-scheduled venue. So, that's something that's going to happen. But going back to the original point, like the Liberty, I mean, yeah, 12 and 20 is not great. But they made the number eight seed. I mean, that's something. Get a get a get a game in front of your home fans. Maybe that crowd galvanizes you to a victory. Maybe it spurs you on to more. Who knows? And we'll never know with this one game format. So I hope they change that pretty soon. But going back to it, the Mercury played the Liberty. Um the Liberty had lost eight straight games before winning their final regular season game. That was the one that kept their playoff hopes alive. Um, but we'll see if they can take uh, a game against a Phoenix team that seems to not only do really well, historically Phoenix has done really well in these single elimination games, but they're led by just a star-studded trio of Diana Taurasi, who has had an ankle injury and been out for a while, but looks like she will return for tonight's game, uh, alongside Skylar Diggins-Smith and Brittany Griner. Uh, add to that the fact that Liberty are 5-11 and on the road, and I don't see that being very well for them. I do see Phoenix winning this game. Uh, it should be fun. should be definitely interesting. Uh, you have Benajah Lene, uh, the team's leading scorer. Uh, you have Jasmine Jones, uh, Sammy Whitcomb, their best three-point shooter. Natasha Howard's their rebounder. The Liberty have some, some folks to, to bang and make things tough. Um, so a win is not impossible, but mm, it's not likely to me. Then we have the number six versus the number seven, a lot closer of a matchup. Uh, you have Marina Mibre and Arika Ogumwale of the Dallas Wings facing off against the Chicago Sky. Uh, the Wings are a scrappy team. They get up there, they grind, they score, they're, they're fun to watch. And you have the Sky, a veteran-laden team. Candace Parker, who has helped the team to a seven-game winning streak in June, uh, but they have been kind of struggling down the stretch since then. They, they've had... Uh, different um, issues in terms of injury, and when they played, they have had moments of, of times when they didn't seem inspired, and that lack of inspired basketball has come to show itself in their rather underwhelming, mediocre 500 record. But I am excited for the matchup. It's going to be good to see the Chicago Sky and their veteran-laden team try to fight this young, scrappy Dallas squad. Uh, it'll be a great test. Uh, it's a little bit of an added weight being a winner-take-all. You know, that does, like I said, I just went and badmouthed the format, and I, I'm still not a fan of it, but at the same time, uh, the element of intensity is, is added there. You know, we're going to see the backcourt of Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley. You have um, Kalea Copper, who's had a breakout season, uh, Diamond Shields, who's been a boon off the bench, and Stephanie Dolson as well. Like, these, these ladies have been through many a battles, and now they're going to have yet another one on their hands as they go up against 
of this young Dallas squad. So we'll see what happens. I am going to say that the Sky pull this game out. Um, again, just like the Mercury, it's not impossible for them to win. It's just not likely, in my opinion. Still in play. So that is something I look forward to seeing. But again, check that out tonight um, on ESPN2. Both games will be played there, and I'm hyped to see them. And also to kind of break down uh, the recap uh, tomorrow for y'all. Speaking of tomorrow, that's going to do it for today's episode of Roundball Ramble. Definitely make sure to give me a follow on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Check out HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBall. Tweets online, hoop-ball.com. For myself, I am a Ferrosti. Y'all stay Ferrosti, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. I ain't y'all. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.